Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, Brad here. Today on the Film and Whiskey Podcast, we are turning things over to our incredible friend Zach Johnson of Uproxx. Zach has taken us on a whirlwind tour of movies and whiskey with some of his favorite people, and today he is heading south to drink Texas's own Balcones Cataleja with his good friend and Texas whiskey enthusiast, Lee Diaz of ReserveBar.com. That is all ahead on this special episode of the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Zachary Johnston, and this is Zach's Whiskey Corner of the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Today, we are going to Texas, which I'm very excited about. Uh, we've been to Scotland, we've been to the Midwest, we've been to Washington, and um, down in Texas, we're going to watch a film by Richard Linklater, which I'm very excited about. I believe it's his second uh, official film after Slackers and Sundance, or Slackers got a lot of attention in Sundance. And this film also launched the career of like half of modern Hollywood, basically, actor-wise. Um, and to sort of celebrate the Texas of it all, we are going to be drinking some Balcones whiskey, uh, one of their new uh, releases, which we'll get to a little bit later. But before then, I'd like to introduce my guest, who is living down in Texas. He just went on a big Texas road trip in the hill countries, all sorts of distilleries, including Balcones. Um, it is Lee Diaz from Reserve Bar. Welcome, Lee. Thanks, man. It's so so fun to be here. I mean, this is, uh, first of all, a great movie pick. And then this this single malt is nuts. So I can't, can't wait yeah. to dive into both. Yeah. And so before we do dive in, why don't you just uh, give the good people of Film and Whiskey Nation a little background on what you do for Reserve Bar? Sure. So um, I've been at Reserve Bar for the past three years, focused on social and e-commerce. So everything that you see on site is planned by my team and deployed um, on a weekly and monthly basis. Um, in after hours, so reserve bar after hours, I focus on our single barrel program as the curator of our top flight series. That's actually what Zach got to join me down here in Texas for is um, picking compelling single barrels and bring them, bringing them to our customers on reserve bar. Um, while we were on our trip, we actually hit our 120th barrel in the past year, representing over 100 different brands. So a lot of fun. Um, a lot of great flavors and, um, I mean, part of our story and I think why we both love whiskey too, is there are just so many compelling stories in the, in the spirits industry. And so it's so fun to learn those stories as you get to pick, um, great flavors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, for me, almost the most fun of going around to distilleries is, you know, going to Garrison brothers and hanging mm -hmm. out with Donis and the team there and just, you know, listening to them talk and get excited about what they're doing. And, you know, obviously as well with, you know, about Cody's when we're, when we're in the barrel house and, you know, the people get so excited about what they're doing because they're doing such unique stuff down in Texas right now that, you know, the future looks very, very bright. Yeah. And shout out to Alex El Elrod from uh, Balcones. That guy yes. gave us an incredible um, tour and True. opened up some barrels that I'm not even sure he was supposed to, but <laughs> I mean, they were fantastic. So. Um, it really gave us some insights and and really fun to to spend some time also with Emma and see the work that she does behind these selections. It is it is mind boggling. Mind boggling indeed. Yeah, that tasting room where they have all the bottles out there and she's working on blends and everything. It's just you know, it's one of those behind the curtains that is just astounding. And yeah, we'll get more into Balcones in a minute. Yeah. But first let's talk about Dates and Confused. Film yeah. came out in uh, 93 wasn't really a huge hit when it came out critically very beloved but it, this really is a cult film like it became big on uh, home video and also the soundtrack i feel really pushed this movie 
into the forefront of people's minds. So, uh, Lee, what was sort of your, what's your first memories of this movie? Well, so when this came out, because I'm a, a child of the '80s, so I'm entering like junior high, yeah, and it was my first like, oh shoot, is that what high school's like? Yeah. Like what? This it's this fun like, like crazy coming of age in Southern Texas style 1970s movie that you're like, is this really what it's going to be like? Cause you don't have a clue, especially in junior high. Right. Um, and so I don't know how we were allowed to watch it. It was one of those, like we got dropped off at the movie theater on a Friday, got to choose whatever movie we wanted. We, we got into this movie and just kind of got to hang out. And um, I think, as you mentioned before, the, number of names we didn't know would become household names that are in this film is, is remarkable. Um, and, and just, yeah, it's just so, it's just a, such a cool, like view of culture and time. Um, I think everybody should watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. I sort of have a, a somewhat similar story where, yeah, I was I think 14 when this came out and, um, I do, I do remember seeing it in the cinema. But then I, it kind of, I forgot about this movie until like maybe 97, like during my first year of college. And this was like its peak of becoming a cult hit. Mm. And like, this was the ultimate sort of like hang out hookup movie. <laughs> like Totally. It was just sort of like literally almost on repeat in, you know, that, that sort of era. Well, but, I mean, uh, you flash forward to college and everybody's watching it in the dorms, right? Like oh, everybody. Yeah. 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 And also the, again, the soundtrack everywhere. Like, you know, it, it was, if you had that, you know, CD case in your car or in your dorm room, mm -hmm. this soundtrack was in it. Absolutely. I mean, the names, the songs, I mean, uh, rewatching it too. I, I forgot how many great classic songs are in this movie. I mean, even I just forgot like low riders in there too. Right. Like yeah, yeah. there's so many just great throwbacks in there that, um, there isn't a single song in there that isn't a smash hit. Yeah, absolutely. I always love uh, the soundtrack open with rock and roll. Hoochie Coo by Rick Derringer is such a perfect mood setter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so before we dive into the actual plot, like I'm just going to read off a list of the actors who basically, we're launched this film. You have Jason London, whose career sort of died off, but Joey Lauren Adams, Neil Jovovich, Sean Andrews, Rory Cochran, Adam Goldberg, Anthony Rapp, <laughs> Sasha Jensen, uh, Marissa Ribisi, uh, Cole Hauser, um, and then Ben Affleck, which is like huge, Parker Posey, huge, and of course, Matthew freaking McConaughey. And there's even a cameo of R Renee Zellweger. She's one of the high school students, like in one of the trucks. Yeah. Yeah, right. she's just hanging out on a car in the party. She has no speaking lines. So I, I wanted to look at this uh, because I saw her again in there. And I was like, does she actually talk in this movie? Confirmed, no speaking lines, just in in school, just hanging out. Hanging out, being Renee Zellweger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, the, the, some people are, I mean, I mean, there's a fucking Batman in this movie. Yeah. Like Cole Hauser's on Yellowstone, you know. I mean, you know, McConaughey's McConaughey and Parker Posey is, you know, damn near indie icon at this point. Um, you know, I'll, I'll find all these people doing amazing stuff throughout the '90s and into up to today, which is sort of astounding. Like, I don't, I can't think of another film from this era that has a cast that stacked. Yeah, and and what I what I think is funny is uh, the two like larger characters. Uh, as far as like acting um, in there. So Ben Affleck, he plays the like what they were joking, like two years senior, like yeah. jerk yeah. Uh, way too well. Like it's too natural yeah. of a character where you're yes. just, you're just like, Oh, I don't, I don't know how much of a, of a stretch this was either then or ever. I don't know. haven't met him, but didn't seem like much of a stretch. And then Matthew McConaughey just, this is the start of, he continues to get these roles that are just chill, cool Matthew McConaughey, right? Like he, all he has to do in this film is like show up, um, you know, you know, um, show up, drive around, be cool and chill. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. 
smoke a little weed. Yeah, I, I wanted to start the all right, all right, all right counter. You're like, <laughs> yeah. Larry do. Everybody can drink. We already said it. Yeah, we should we should do that. Like every time you say it, you have to drink. It's perfect. Yeah. So let's dive into the film because this is we're not folks, we're not gonna go beat for beat on this one because this film is mm-hmm. actually like the cast stacked. Like this is a really plot dense, heavy film. And I kind of forgot that because I think I was so used to being on in the background for so many years um, that I, when you actually sit down and watch it, a lot goes on in this movie. And so let's oh, start with... You caught, you caught me mid-sip. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, a lot goes on in this movie. So let's start at the beginning where, you know, just from the opening, it's iconic. You know, sweet emotion, Aerosmith. This beautiful car comes slow-mo into the scene, into the parking lot. You know, they're rolling joints. People are playing dice. It's the last day of high school in May of 1976 at Lee High School in Austin, Texas. And you see people, you see everything set up here as well. Like you see the seniors getting ready, ready to haze the freshmen. You see, mm-hmm. you know, he's, we meet Pink Floyd with this group of saying goodbye to his girlfriend and like, you know, sort of like meeting everybody uh, in the, in the high school who are, you know, it's the last day of school. So it's pretty, pretty loose. Of what everyone's doing. Yeah. The the guys are in woodshop making a bong. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's hanging out. What I love also is you get the freedom of the seniors and you get like the fear really well captured of the freshmen of like, yes. oh crap, I gotta get out of here as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah, the scene with of the eighth graders with their uh Vietnam vet teacher is just uh it's an iconic scene when he's been Half of you growing in the jungle, half of you ain't coming back. It's just oh phenomenal. my god, yeah. He's like, I'm not, I'm not letting you out early. Like, yeah, some of you aren't going to make it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> um, so we get this sort of beginning of you know classes, schools out for summer. Uh, you know, Alice Cooper. Um, you see immediately when the seniors are chasing down uh, incoming freshmen to paddle their asses. But then we get a very long set piece of the freshman girls and freshman seniors. Yeah. Or sorry, senior girls hazing. And he goes into vivid detail. And um it's equal parts disgusting and ridiculous, I think it would be safe to say. Have you ever seen this happen in real life where you have hazing involving so much food and sort of like just openly in the public like that? No, I well uh in in fraternity life a little bit. Not anything right. related to high school. Um, all of right. that was kind of strange. Um, I am, I will confess, I, I was a band nerd. I am still a band nerd. Um, right. And so I, I know we would like make the freshmen do like workouts and stuff in yeah, I mean, the hottest cool. as hot of you yeah. as you can get. But like what they were doing was just like next level hazing. Yeah. And it's sort of, like the uh, same thing, like uh, fraternity life. Like, yeah, we did do push ups, sit ups, and memorize bullshit for the fraternity. But there was a little bit of this food stuff, like during Hell Week. But it was sort of like a relief from actually doing the push ups, yeah. you know. So, but like just how, you know, and obviously they comment on how it's you know out in the open. You know, they got the parking lot. You know, the parents don't seem to mind, and uh, you know the. It's when we meet uh, Sabrina, who's one of the freshman girls. And, um, you know, it's sort of like she's coming in with uh, uh, Willie Wiggins' uh, sister and realize everybody's sort of connected and, you know, they're all sort of in their little cliques. And, you know, it's all very clear, but also just ridiculous. I mean, this whole scene is just insane. But it's also really a a sign of the times, right? I think the, (laughs) the kids of the 70s and early 80s had this level of freedom and just just being yeah. that was super, you know, just kind of open. Go do your go do your thing. Just don't have the cops call me, basically, right? So, like, right. I mean, even for me growing up, like, I would leave on my bike by myself at like nine o'clock in the morning, go hang out with friends all over town. As long as as I was back by sundown, it was fine, right? And there's mm-hmm. no question as far as what's happening. And I think, again, thinking about high school in the seventies, thinking about maybe Texas high school in the seventies, like just go, go do whatever you want. Like go hang yeah. out at the skating rink or the 
video arcade or whatever, whatever it is, like go do it. Just don't get in trouble where I have to hear about it. Yeah. That's very much the vibe. And, uh, yeah. And we sort of, uh, we see, so yeah, Mitch, who's sort of like our main freshman, um, you know, he's getting chased by Ben Affleck and seniors, uh, all the way through the streets in a ridiculous sort of car chase that you think would cause some people to get their tackles up in a uh, sleepy Austin suburb. Um, Mitch makes it to his door and his mom comes out with a shotgun on Ben Affleck to get him to stop the, uh, and it's, it's just a great scene because they're about to be paddled by Affleck and they're almost embarrassed that she's stopping it. Yes. Like, like, oh, they were so close to it being over. Well, I think at that point you could tell, like, they're like, we should have just gotten this pain over with because now this is compounding interest, right? Like, and it, and that's exactly what happens. Like there's a foreshadowing of like, Hey, doom is coming. Like you may have hedged your bets for this second, but you got to pay the piper. It's coming. Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. And then, so, (laughs) you know, everybody kind of goes their own ways and that's when we get into kind of the meat of the movie, the, the whole second act, which is basically one long set piece really because it's just people hanging out driving around getting ready to go to a party yep um so you have you know the the you know what i'm assuming are the popular girls uh, seniors you know getting ready to go out and they're driving around you know talking trash you have uh Wooderson arrives finally and he's uh you know rolls into the hamburger stand since his signature line you have uh then you have the incoming freshman at a baseball game and there's four seniors there waiting for him to get done so they can get their uh, licks in. Um, and then finally, Mitch gets it at the end, but he takes one for the team, literally. Yeah. And so uh, his his buddy on the baseball team asks him to go out the back so he can take his because they're going to get him anyway. Because uh, his sister's a part of the cool girl clique, really. I mean, that's what we're showing anyway. So it's like, it's not like he's not going to be in with those guys. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I just recall plenty of those nights driving around like you don't have cash on hand like you're just hanging out like you are grabbing a few beers from like the pool house fridge and just kind of you know going wherever wherever whoever has anything going on and and really before cell phones and everything like if you run in with each other you're like what are you guys doing what are you guys doing i have no idea all right let's go figure it out right until at the end you just end up somewhere um and this is kind of throughout like the use and I'm going back to the soundtrack, but the use of uh, basically song titles and theming to represent moments in the movie is like perfect. Right. And so, you know, the paddling, I actually wrote it down because I thought it was so funny. Like during the early paddling scene, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy from Megadeth. Right. So like, yes. you know, like there's this great like when school's out, it's school's out for summer from Alice Cooper. Like there are just these great moments where they not only use the thematic of the music, but the song title itself is like almost indicative of chapters yeah. in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, uh, it sort of just plays through that way as like hanging out continues because, uh, you know, obviously we're sort of following Pink as well as like the, the head senior because there's a little subplot with him signing a commitment paper for mm-hmm. uh, football and um, he takes it easy on Mitch. Um, gives Mitch a ride home, tells him to come out tonight. You know, tells me it'll be really cool to like come out and show him that it hasn't gotten to you. And so, you know, everybody's sort of out and about. You know, Mitch smoking weed for the first time, drinking beer for the first time, which yeah. sounds about right for that era. I mean, he's going to be what fourteen at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, they sort of like basically the film in this part is it's long-ish, but it's just kind of them going between the Emporium where people are playing foosball and uh, uh, pool and people driving around getting beer and picking people up and smashing mailboxes for whatever reason, which seems again, highly like police magnetic. Yeah, it, it's a taste of life, honestly. Like, man, when you're on those back roads, I mean, even now you get a sleepy town, you can probably get away with just about anything right especially yeah. back then not maybe not now but i mean you could really get away with practically anything and so i think you just have these moments of like things 
high school kids were getting themselves into in a sleepy town. Right. And, especially especially on the last night of school. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I mean, you know, you also have those popular kids that I mean, the football players, baseball players, like they know all the police officers in that town. So like everybody's shutting down their lights. Just kids are gonna be kids. It's the seventies. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, and you know, some of their dads are cops. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this, you know, small enough town, they know what's going on. Um and yeah, so basically Everyone sort of comes together as like, you know, the, the big party at one of the houses was canceled because the parents were there when the cakes were being delivered. And so they're putting together a party at the moon ta- moonlight tower, the moon tower, and uh, people are gathering cakes and the film sort of is moving towards a big outdoor party, a uh, big caker basically in the field. Um, and so again, you know, you ha- there's a lot of just hanging out going on. So we don't need to get like too deep into it um there's some great moments though just uh i love adam goldberg's character driving around in the car when he's like just having a bit of a breakdown about what he's gonna do when he goes to college like that's like i want to be a lawyer like i want to dance it's just a great great comedic moment with him wonderfully unexpected moment like oh yeah are you kidding me yeah yeah Uh, so beautifully done and uh you know you can see like sort of the, uh, the football bros are all getting far drunker and far more stoned to the point where they definitely 100% should not be driving. Um, but again, like you said, small town in the seventies, that was just the way it is. I mean, to be fair, it's not that drastically different now in that part of the country. I mean, I live in rural Kentucky, man. And there, that's the only way you're getting around is in a car. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, uh, there were some liberties taken in filming that movie, but I think yeah. they were, they weren't far off. Like I, I do think it's a pretty successful representation of Americana. Um, not too far off from, I mean, what we were doing in the, in the early nineties either. I mean, true. We, and, true. And we were still in the pre pre cell phone advent time frame, Right. So like, yeah. you're just, connecting at school or or not at all and showing up at places and or just driving around seeing what's happening absolutely yeah and uh before everyone gets out to the moon tower from kicker Ben affleck's uh O'Banion gets his comeuppance mm-hmm. from the uh from the freshman in a, a pretty good trick actually like uh they uh they have a little bit of bait with one of the freshmen to get him to a specific spot and then they dump paint all over him which uh it's got to suck because he goes and sits in his car covered in paint, which is like, dude. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why are you getting in your car right now? Like, that's, that's the, the first your shirt off. Yeah, like, something, something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Ben Affleck's character is singularly focused the entire time. And this is the first time it kind of breaks that, that singular focus. Um, yeah. And so you have that moment of shift for that character, which is nice. Um, he, you know, up, up into the point of like breaking his own paddle. Right. So like yeah. he, he, it's like that moment is, is done, but I mean, up until that point, he is so singularly focused that it's uh, anytime you see him in, in a scene, you know what he's after um, and what he, you know, what he's trying to accomplish. For sure. And then once that happens, the whole hazing aspect is over. Like we don't um, return to it at all yeah. in the uh in the film, which is it's a good way to end it where it's just like, okay, this asshole's gone. Let's move on with our lives, sort of thing. Um, yeah. The, the the guy's hazing is over. There is that one the one exchange um at the party between between the girls. Oh, and between Darla, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and then it was like, dude, get over yourself. Yeah, exactly. They sort of yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't even follow through because it's like are you kidding me yeah shit's uh just too much at that point but also darla is obviously blackout drunk like totally she cannot even stand um so there's a bit of uh comedy in her performance of just being so far gone she literally falls over and just starts cracking up absolutely we've all been there in that age Sometimes yeah. I'm still in that age, honestly. Yeah. 
I get home and I'm just like, the floor looks really comfortable. I can't make it 25 more feet to my bed. I don't know why. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, everybody gets to the moon tower. Um, and this is kind of where the movie, I guess, culminates. But it is still just hanging out. I mean, you have some more friction because everyone's either more stoned or more drunk than they should be. So, um, you know, Anthony Goldberg's mic gets in a weird sort of fight with Nikki mm-hmm. Cat's Clint. Sure. Uh, because Clint gets all paranoid about, like, smoking weed. <laughs> and Adam Goldberg's mic is like, what are you talking about, dude? And then sits there and stews for yeah. probably an hour or two. And then goes up and just straight up suckers Clint, which is just like, so, so dumb. Yeah. But he, and then Clint kicks his ass. Um, you see, uh, you know, Pink's hooking up with someone who's not his girlfriend. And, yeah. You know, uh, you know, everyone's getting just too drunk and having too much fun. And, you know, it's that sort it, of. It's end a slice of, night. of life. Yeah. It's a slice yeah. of life. Like at the end of the night, like people are just making mistakes, right? Like they're just. Yeah. Yeah. Making mistakes left and right. Openly making mistakes left and right. And, and I think like, I mean, just thinking of, again, I think slice of life because like, man, I've been at those parties where somebody has like done me wrong and it's the dumbest thing. And then you stew about it for however long and your friends are still living life and you're still stewing. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you don't do something about it. Like I generally didn't because I'm generally the smaller dude in the room, but like you're, you just wasted your whole night stewing instead of just being out here with your with your friends yeah well i've been in many situations like that um often because i'm like the big guy and like there have been times where like a smaller guy will have perceived a slight that i'm completely unaware of yeah (laughs) and the next thing i know somebody's trying to sucker me or pour a beer on my head and it's like okay i guess we're doing this (laughs) um uh, it's obviously I'm talking about shit 20, 25 years ago. Folks. Sure. Um, but in situations like this where, you know, and I've been on the other side as well, where 70s. Totally. And I sit there and stew the whole time. But usually I would just leave because I'm like, what, what am I going to do? Be that asshole who makes a scene at a party now. Yeah. And so I just roll out. Um, but yeah, and, and the film sort of, uh, again, culminates with, you know, like just people making dumb decisions. And luckily there are no phones around for those decisions to be recorded. And everybody sort of gets home around sunup, and uh, you know the the cool kids, the the jocks, I guess stoner stoner jocks, go to the football field, and you know Conway's there, and they're smoking weed, pontificating, and get caught by security, and uh, you know Mitch goes home, and uh, his mom's just like, "This is your one pass." That's on his headphones. Uh, you know, you see everybody sort of go home as sun comes up, and then. We end the movie with uh, McConaughey and Pink and their girlfriends heading to Houston to buy some Aerosmith tickets, dude. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to finish a great night, you might as well go get some tickets. Uh, and that's that's another part like kid, like this generation will never experience waiting in those Ticketmaster lines right. or or at the venue, like getting those like getting in line. Yep. Like I, I remember driving from um, in college, like driving from Malibu. I went to Pepperdine. So driving from Malibu to Hollywood just to grab some tickets. And so you're up at like six o'clock in the morning, driving through the Canyon, still wiping the sleepies off your eyes and getting those tickets. So I I love that it ends with that because it's another part of like summer starting. We're getting those tickets for that show. We really want to go to. Yeah. yeah, I remember doing the same thing, driving to Seattle and having to go to like the key arena, get tickets like to the venue. Um, and that was it. There's no other way. And you'd get there and you'd be like, shit, is this line worth waiting in? Because you're like, it's already a thousand people deep or it's 50 people deep or whatever. So, you know, it was always a little bit of a roll of the dice. And, um, but yeah, and this, the, the movie sort of ends with them on the open road and their whole life ahead of them. And, um, you know, still somehow, you know, being 18, 19 year olds who can handle partying all night and driving to Houston in the morning to buy tickets. <laughs> And and very poetically, we we end with the song we started with, and I don't I don't think that that happens too often, right? And right. yeah, and I love it's almost like it's just a new day. Like yeah, this is we're we're living. This is this is the next day, and it's uh, the same tune. So let's keep 
let's keep rolling down. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun, and it's sort of, and that's the that's the just the movie. I mean, there's more details here and there, but it's really just a hangout movie. Like it's you know it's it's the cool senior girls hanging out, it's the stoner jocks hanging out, it's you know the freshmen hanging out, um, you know it's the sort of nerdy seniors hanging out, and then all sort of intertwining. And what I sort of love about this film is they all are intertwined. Like mm-hmm. I feel like in the mid eighties. Well, sorry, mid nineties, especially in the mid two thousands, and Mean Girls is a really good representation of this. There's this false idea that cliques never mingle. Like mm-hmm. They sit at that table and they don't talk to them. They sure. sit at that table. That's never how it is. Like, there's always people intermingling between them all. Like, there's always you know the stoner jock, and there's always the, the nerdy jock, and there's always you know the the cool kid who also you know can talk about TV all day long. You know, and there's there's always these interactions between these groups. And yeah, there are core groups, but they all interact in one way or another. Yeah, the inner I mean, and some of them are forced interactions, right? So like right. you don't even if they wanted to stay away from each other by the nature of just frankly being in high school, you're you're commingled. So yeah, like there's exactly. there's just kind of natural and unnatural interaction that takes place. And I, I think this just captured that. Uh, relatively well. The one funny thing about the party that I thought, again, getting back to the music and how well the music is used to uh, tie in, is the moment the the last keg is tapped. So tapped out, not tapped, tapped out. <clears throat> it's Tuesday's gone from Leonard Skinner, which yeah. I thought was like, it's gone. That's it. We're out. And We're out. And, and I just love again like everything down to the music is just so well-timed and prepared where you have these moments that are told in picture through the actors and their experiences, but also through the music. And it just continues to give you this commingling of that, of that experience. Um, and so I just love how that works all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a the perfect uh, needle drop movie uh, just throughout the whole thing. But yeah, and that's that's the point, folks. And it is one of those movies that uh, you know, not to be too much of a broken record here, but it really became if you were alive like in the mid nineties to early two thousands in high school, college, it was the film that was on in the background when you're hanging out at a party, when you're hooking up with whoever you're hooking up with. Like this was that movie that would be just there. Um and that has made it, you know, sort of this everlasting film now that still has this life to it that to the point where McConaughey is his goddamn catchphrase for light is from this film and he can still show up as Wooderson and people go nuts, you know. Well, and I think the like the meme culture and the recapturing of of snippets uh and reusing them throughout as gifts has has brought back relevance of certain moments like that. Like, all right, all right, all right, came back because of, I think, the the prevailing growth of UT football and his interactions with UT football, but also the meme and GIF culture coming back and being like, oh, let's capture these moments, and these are hilarious, let's bring them back. Like, right. I think this was one where clearly it has benefited um, and kind of lasted through because it's it's a great, honestly, it's a great chill line, but it's one that people can, like, it resonates with people because it's just so chill and easy, and it can be replicated. You grab that moment, and uh, now I can share it as a uh, as a gift, a gift anytime I want. Yeah, I mean, just the, uh, again, it's a, it's a watershed of McConaughey, but him walking into the Emporium to Hurricane, like, that is... You know the ultimate slow motion walk-in scene that has been sure. to death, but uh, it's still resonant. I mean, it's still badass to this day. What's sort of crazy is, you know, this this film has you know such a huge shelf shelf life, but uh, I got to I got to do the math, man. Ninety three to seventy six is sixteen years. So if this film was made today, it'd be about two thousand six. Oh god, right <laughs> when we were grown ass adults. Wait, wow. <laughs> yeah um so good night everybody no i'm kidding yeah seriously i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. go drink some whiskey now i gotta, yeah. I gotta go
Well, on that note, we're uh, going to go drink some whiskey. So sticking with Texas, not Austin, but Waco, which is just down the road. Um, Balcones. I mean, this is one of the original craft distilleries in Texas. Um, it's been around round now for how many years is it? What's this bottle say? <laughs> 15, 15 years. years. 15 yeah, years. 15 mm-hmm. year anniversary. Um, so we are going to be sampling Balcones Catalea. Uh, which is their 15th anniversary Texas single malt. And uh, it is a pretty phenomenal pour. Uh, just a little background. It's uh, their single malt, which they make with 100% cold and malted barley. Um, and they have real Scottish pot stills that they run this stuff through. They have long formation before that for seven days. Real Scottish uh, copper pot stills. Um, and then, of course, you know, the climate of Waco is pretty drastic, so mm-hmm. they have they have a you know they don't need to you know age their single malt for twenty years like they do in Scotland. They can get a lot more done in four to eight years. In this case, this whiskey was uh, finished in Moscatel, uh, uh, a Montaliado, uh, Dolce Oloroso, uh, Palo Cortado, and Sherry Solera Cas. So. Very, very uh, unique finish on this. And it all comes together for their 15th anniversary release of a very, very unique Texas single ball. Lee, what do you think of this one? Yeah, so uh, before I jump into the whiskey, your Texas geographers are crying right now. So uh, it's an it's an hour and a half up the road. You get, okay. you get to wake up. Right, right. Actually, funny enough, an hour and a half down the road is San Antonio when you're in Austin. Oh. Oh, so, like, you you can do that. But so, just for you, for everyone that lives in Texas, I got I wanted to make sure we got that right. Yes, thank um, you for that correction. I was just there too, so that's really yeah, sad that yeah. I got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, but man, I think that um, this is such a wonderful celebration of what Balcones is doing and how they are trying to inform what american single malt can look like and specifically what malt out coming out of texas can look like that wonderfully captures the impact of each of these barrels mm-hmm. and the fact that you don't need a significant amount of time especially in texas in any of these barrels because of how much flex you'll get through the highest of high temperatures in Texas and the lowest of low temperatures, which are not that low um, comparatively. And so I think it's really fun um, what they're doing with American single malt first. And the fact that they release this as a single malt, I think is a clear nod to that work in probably the, I would say the direction or what should be the core direction of that work. If it's not, it probably is. Um, So, Um, but the core direction of their work um, and then just bringing all these added influences in complements um, or builds upon that platform. Right. And so whiskey nation, whiskey and film nation, but this is the reason I wanted to have Lee on this episode because he is the biggest Texas whiskey advocate out there right now. And he not only has adoration for these whiskeys, but the region and the uniqueness of the region. And, you know, this isn't Kentucky. This isn't Washington. This isn't Scotland. It's not Tennessee. It's, it's certainly not Indiana or New York. Um, you know, and we were just in the uh, Balcones warehouse with uh, Alex, which was a wonderful time. And it really is a different vibe. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, it's a brick warehouse that used to be, correct me if I'm wrong, furniture storage. They used um, to be a, a storage, a storage warehouse, basically. Right, right in the middle of town. Yeah. Um, and so they have, uh, they have their warehouse on the fourth floor. So as we all know, heat rises. Um, but what they're doing there is they sort of, because it's been 15 years, they've been able to dial in really what they're doing. And so they have uh, a little bit larger format barrels that they're focusing on now. You know, we tried some pork barrels and we tried some of these barrels and they're, they're really finding that they're able to, ex- you know, because it's a large barrel. The extraction they're getting in that short amount of time, they're 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 getting these deep flavors. And what I love about this is the nose. At first, it's like it's like a really rich caramel, almost like a bourbon. It's almost like a little bit of a magic trick. 
And then as you go deeper, you get that sort of like savory fruit and dried fruit and you know, the sort of cognac and cherry starts coming through. But it's a, it is an all around sort of spice, deep, dark spice, sweet cherry, or sorry, sweet, spicy cherry. Um, and then yeah. it's just, it's gorgeous on the nose. I mean, it just keeps going and going. Yeah. And what I love about, I mean, Texas whiskey in general, right? So to your point, it is not Kentucky whiskey. And I think no. that, um, I think that every whiskey is an incredible celebration of the master distiller and their skill. And with that, the master distiller, in my mind, is mastering all of the elements of of the like elements and properties around the whiskey that they're developing. And so Jared and team at Balcones need to use unique water tables. Um, and I think there's an influence of the Red River, which we've talked about, which is a little siltier, like siltier mud. So you have to do some different things during um, um, during your filtrations. Uh, but I think adds depth to the whiskey. Um, they are trying different grains and malts. Um, so this one, for instance, 100% Golden Promise, but then trying like local grain and malt and figuring out like what the proper mix is. And then leveraging the heat. And to your point, leveraging different barrel sizes in learning the impact of heat in that range and saying, oh, shoot, if we try these different barrel sizes, it might be able to extract different flavors and different components in different timeframes, which is like super fun. Absolutely. And that comes through, especially on the uh, the profile of this on the palate, because it comes across as almost like a, like a stewed star fruit. Mm. A little bit of like tropical fruit barks, you know, like it's not, it's not juicy per se, but it is fruity. Uh, but then it just like dives into these spices and these sort of botanicals and this deep sort of grassiness and this really, really layered yet in a vibrant feel to it. Like there's I, no burn, there's no, there's no, like there's not really any heat either. And you also get these great tannins, right? Which are not your traditional like oak tannins from like uh, from the charring or, or um, yeah, from the charring of, of your barrel, you're getting actually the tannins that are coming from each of these elements of, of, of grape, right. Of, of wine coming through that. um, So you're kind of getting those tannins in infused in here as well, which is great because there's this nice, like mingling of like, on the front, I get a drying effect. On the finish, my mouth starts watering. And I don't know how they got that right. I usually get one or the other. But on the front, it it tastes pretty dry, which is those tannins. On the back end, my mouth starts watering, and I'm ready for that next that next sip. Absolutely. It's interesting. It's almost, it's almost like an infinity blend of fortified wine on yeah. the end, um, where you, but it all balances out very nicely. Um, and I... Totally agree with you. You get that that softness on the end as well, and that a little bit of moisture, and it, it really kind of rounds out and draws you back for more. Because it's like, okay, let's let's find out what else is in here. Um, it's going back on the nose. So it's so nice because, like, back on the nose, I start to get this little bit of chili, little bit mm. of that little bit of that Texas malt coming through. Yeah, where it's uh. Like that starts going a little bit, or it's maybe we're going to start playing with some oolong tea. You know, like there's there's some playfulness in here where it is still about donuts. You know what I mean? Well, and so that's why I mean I also love opening it up with a rock um, or yeah. some water. I chose a rock today just because once we're done, I'm going to keep drinking this. Clearly, yeah. Um, but I think what's cool about this is so obviously on ice for. For your like, when you're s- smelling everything, like ice is going to deaden the uh, the olfactories, right? But on the palate, it really opens up. You get those great baking spices. You get those great fruit notes. I think this is where also you celebrate that malt even more. Is you really get that foundation of malt, um, which is a lot of fun to play with. Absolutely, and what's sort of beautiful about it, like I I agree, like over a rock, it really. You get almost like a creaminess to it as well. Um, but yeah, it's just, for me, like 
Balcones, Texas whiskey, and it's not, it's, they are fairly broad now. They've been around for 15 years, but it might be one of those things for consumers out there. They look at it and they don't really know what's Texas single ball, what's mm-hmm. or bourbon, what's, you know, what's this stuff? It's all very niche. Doesn't really fit in with the usual, you know, broad branding of a Kentucky bourbon or Tennessee whiskey or what have you. Um, and that's why it's so great because they have always stayed in their character. They have not compromise and follow trends. They're like, no, we're going to do what we always set out to do. This is what we love to do. And that's, you know, they brought the, the you know, they, they're using proper Scottish pot stills. You know, they're mm-hmm. using systems, you know, that are slower for fermentation so that they can do this the way they really enjoy. And that comes through in the whiskey. And that might be a little more niche or might be a little off-putting for some people not, you know, don't want to do the homework. You can seriously just grab this bottle. I think it's what, 125, 130, uh, on <laughs> And, you know, it is such a unique single malt journey, unlike any other, hugely deep and has this just gorgeousness to it. That is, in my opinion, very Texas. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it does everything well. And I think for, for anyone that's new to just Texas whiskey in general, I think the fun part about, I mean, really regional whiskey um, or bourbon across the United States is like the United States, Zach, do you know this? I don't actually know the number, but the United States probably can hold within it like 50 Scotland's oh, more. Easily. Yeah, 100? Probably, probably 500. Okay. Tiny. Okay. So 500 yeah. Scotland. Yeah. So we're 500 Scotland's. And what I love about that is you get so much great depth and range of complexity just in Scotland, um, in different regions. When you do that in the U.S. as a whole, each region can be a great celebration of what that location, what that climate, what that area brings to whiskey, brings to bourbon. When you get to Texas, Texas by itself is a few dozen Scotlands. and. And so now you have like even here some great range of flavors to to deal with and and the microclimates and the climate as a whole gets so much hotter than Kentucky that you're going to see like two or three year whiskeys here in Texas that have developed really well and their color is crazy and you can't really get a handle of it. I think it's really just appreciating what you can create in each of these regions. And then with Balcones, what they've been able to master with single malt and and really use everything about this environment to really nail what single malt and and Texas's approach to single malt can, and from my perspective, should look like. I think they really knock it out of the park. And so I think they create a really great model for people to, um, to look at as they're developing their own processes approaches to single malts in texas yeah and that's uh you know like in what balcones nails is authenticity to the place uh you know we both have been around doing barrel bakes and we've both been around this industry thoroughly and you know you see people in washington or in california trying to make kentucky bourbon or you see people in new york trying to make indiana right or you see people in you know, alabama trying to make you know, could be bourbon. I say, that's fine. Sure. Um, obviously, you know, there's a palette out there for it in the masses, but it's at the same token, make your region's best product. Yeah. And that's what Alcones does. And also, to be clear, that's what Garrison Brothers does. That's sure. And still Austin does. You know, there's plenty of great distilleries in Texas doing exactly that. Um, not everyone's doing it on the level of Balcones or Lake Garrison Brothers, but uh, Balcones really, because again, 15 years, not a short amount of time in the whiskey world, especially in America, they had enough time to work out the kinks, find what really truly works for them and lean into it. And now we're in kind of, I feel we're approaching a heyday for a lot of these a little bit older distilleries in Texas where, you know, they're five years away from being 20 years in and 20 years in in Texas is like, what, 60 years in in Scotland? 
Yeah. Time-wise. And so, you know, there's going to be some amazing stuff coming out of Balcones in the future, as well as other Texas distilleries. Um, and, you know, you're, you're seeing people kind of follow their footsteps as well. You know, you have a, a, a holiday out in Missouri who's doing Missouri bourbon. And it's classified as a Missouri bourbon because it's, you know, they're using Missouri oak for the age, Missouri grains, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're doing the thing they should be doing there. Uh, and again, not to decry people in any of these states or who are trying to, you know, chase the Kentucky bourbon profile or the Indiana rye profile. You know, you do your thing. But, uh, I, I, I always, and I think probably the same, I always like chasing the people who are going hyper-local all the way down to, you know, the water drain, the the process in every way to create something that is that region. Yeah, I think that um, you know, a lot of it is finding your voice. And uh what is it that notion of like uh history favors the bold, right? Like absolutely uh creating a tone of voice in this industry that's a little bit different and saying we're gonna own that. And I think uh Zach to your point, like we had a great weekend of visiting with brands that are doing that so well. You mentioned, you know, Garrison Brothers, still Austin. I mean, just brands that are like effectively identifying their voice and developing that within the construct of Texas whiskey and what that can look like. Uh, Balcones is just a little bit ahead of the ahead of the ball game, being 15 years in, but at 15 years, the level of complexity and the understanding of who they are and where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do is just a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, I mean, ahead of this, I pulled out some really dusty bottles from like when I first started collecting, so collecting Balcones. Um, and so, I mean, part of my experience after this is going to be pouring some of these out and, and kind of seeing like, where were they? Where are they now? I think, you know, yeah. Yeah, I have some classics in my shelf as well as going back about quite a few years. And uh, it's always fascinating kind of re revisiting. But I think it's a really good segue back to the film in that, you know, finding your voice, like mm -hmm. you know, being in high school and figuring out who you are, like going into high school and figuring out who you're going to be. Um, and sort of, I think one thing that gets left out about McConaughey's character, Wooderson, is he's figured out who he is. He's yeah. going to be a guy who works for the city. You know, he's going to be on crews that are cleaning shit up. And he's going to, you know, drink, you know, probably get married and have a couple kids that he'll get divorced from and never see. But he'll always be that guy, right? Yeah, totally. And he's already there. And the same thing with Pink, you know, he's got to make a decision whether he's going to cite his uh, commitment to the team paper and not do drugs or alcohol for their senior season. And he's not that guy. And he decides not to be that guy. He comes into his own. He follows his voice. He follows who he is. Much like these Texas whiskeys follow who they are. Oh, um, my gosh. And Balcones, as a 15-year-old, right? as a freshman, now has to decide what, yeah. what's it going to be. What's and it going to be? What's next? And, and I'm going to call it. I'm just going to say Balcones goes heavy into single malts, stop, starts ignoring some of the other stuff, and... And really kind of leans into knowing the space. I think this is a great, uh, Catalea is a great example of what they can do. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see just rounds of, of releases where we're just su not surprised, but delighted every time. Yeah. And this is a world class single malt whiskey. Like it can stand up with anything from Japan or Scotland or, you know, Australia. By far, um, and yeah, sort of. Let's, uh, let's let's wrap it up here. What are your sort of final thoughts on this movie after having watched it again and talked through it? Like, does it still feel like a cult classic, or is it too nostalgic now? And you're sort of like feeling your age. No, I mean it still feels like a cult classic. I'll I'll just true confession. Um, after I rewatched it just ahead of this. I instantly was going to eBay to see if I could grab another Dazed and Confused CD. Nice. Like nice. Yeah. that soundtrack just, man, how they created, uh, not how they um, developed that as kind of the soundtrack of life for yeah. these kids in this movie was just perfectly done and everything was just so well-timed. And so I think that um, this should be something that when you're, 
your kids are old enough. They, you know, all of them should watch because there's going to be moments again where kids are going to be like, why are they just driving around? And you're going to be like, because you didn't have cell phones, bro. Like, yes. Yeah, I think the, the <laughs> biggest the biggest thing that dates it is probably the hazing, the open hazing anyway. Like that yeah. just I don't know anywhere where that still straight up happens, but I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm blind to it. I, I think we I, if it's still happening, we're so well removed from it. Thank God there's no uh hazing in the in the bourbon community. Like <laughs> Oh, uh, hey hey Lee, you just got your hundredth barrel. Come here, we gotta we gotta go paddle you out, out back. Yeah. First, you got to break this barrel down, and we're going to use the stage to paddle. Oh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, see how long you can hold this hazmat in your mouth before you uh, spit <laughs> it out. See now that that would be worse than paddling, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but yeah, it's um, I agree, man. It's one of those films that it's sort of universal themes of of coming into your you know early adulthood. Uh, you know, and I, I love the idea, like we mentioned, like, you know, the whole sort of back third of the film, it is just making mistakes left yeah. and right, you know, and, you know, kind of, uh, not so much dealing with those mistakes externally, but knowing what you did and dealing with the danger, you know, and like sort of how those mistakes then drive your decisions going forward. And that's an important thing where you you got to have space to make mistakes, man. And, um, you know, it would be not weird, but it would be interesting because 2006 is still that just pre iPhone era where people had cell phones, mm. like flip phones and stuff like that, but social media wasn't there yet. And so, you know, like I remember maybe taking a picture on a flip phone in 04, 05, but not uh, really, um, our, and so, our- RIP to my Nokia brick phone. Man. You know, right. Um, and so it kind of would be interesting to see a film like this in 06, um, which again, you know, kind of depressing given uh, our age, but <laughs> uh, it is it is a very distinct time. I mean, the, the music of the mid-aughts, the movies of the mid-aughts, the, the, I mean, also the, the fashion of the mid-aughts is coming back. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not that out of the question, but wow, that would be a, uh, Wild movie. I, uh, I yeah. think I think all the uh the uh helicopter parents would, would shriek in horror in watching this movie, like, oh I would never do that. Let my kid do that. It's right. crazy. Oh yeah, I mean let your uh 14-year-old daughter get hazed with just a ridiculous amount of pretty raw eggs, flour, ketchup, mustard, mayo, and then driven through a car wash in the back of a truck. Can you imagine mm-hmm. the 70s, man? Different time in the eighties. Like, yeah, I don't really think it was that different in the eighties, to be honest. It wasn't that different. Yeah, I mean, I like you said, I was the same way. Where you know, ride your bike, come home when the lights, when the street lights turn on, you go home for dinner, like, and you didn't report back your whole day where you were. You just no questions asked. It was yeah. like, hey, you got your homework done? Great. Yeah, cool. Want to watch TV? Cool. <laughs> Wait, that's <laughs> me. Now I'll sleep. Yeah. Oh, hey, you want a whiskey? Yeah, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Balcones? Yeah, sure. Can't wait. All right, everyone. Um, so that's our episode. That's Dazed and Confused with the Texas thing, Balcones, Catalina. You can buy it now. It is around 125. Um, com. See if you need it delivered in your neck of the woods. Um, next week will be our fifth and final episode, which will be Butch Catsty and the Sundance Kid. And we'll be bringing some Wyoming whiskey with that for the whole in the Wall Gangs retreat in Hole in the Wall, Wyoming. And that will be the end of Sachs Whiskey Quarter for this year. Lee, where can people find you and uh, how can they find out more about Reserve Bar? Yeah, absolutely. So you can connect with Reserve Bar at Reserve Bar Spirits on Instagram. Uh, you can follow um, my exploits in identifying single barrels uh at my own account which is lee diaz 24 also on instagram um just been a lot of fun it was actually a lot of fun zach just bringing you along for a few picks i think oftentimes we have our our small groups of people we can hang out with and it was so fun to be able to welcome you to texas and and uh be able to jump in but um if you're interested in this uh release um from Balcones or any of the Balcones releases, um, you can go to Reserve Bar right now and they are available to you. 
Uh, for a lot of folks, we can ship them to you. For some lucky folks, we can actually get them to you on demand, so same-day delivery. Um, and all of my single-barrel uh, releases are available on Reserve Bar as a part of the Top Flight series. You can just search for Top Flight, and you can find all of those whenever you'd like. Nice. Yeah, that's perfect, especially this time of year. And um, you can follow me on Instagram, CTP Whiskey, not on any other socials. Um, you know, continue reading uh, my whiskey reviews on upperrocks.com. And otherwise, hopefully, uh, I'll see you all next week with Butch Casty and the Sundance Kid. Bye, everybody. Thank you.